And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. This is a movie review bundle show that I will be doing solo. I am also Mike. Mike One cannot join me today. He's got a very good reason, unfortunately, uh, and he's uh, tweeted about it. So my heart goes out to him. And certainly, uh, I know you guys have have really come together and 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 helped him through this time. So he's dealing with a, a death of a friend and. And I'll let him come back and 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 tell all about that. But uh, my heart goes out to him. Uh, I love you, buddy. And the show must go on, as we talked about. Uh, and I'm glad to be able to review a lot of movies today. A lot of September movies today that are new uh, that just hit theaters. I've been going to the a lot of screenings of late. A lot of a lot of stuff to weigh in on uh, that you guys can finally get at this weekend and. My hope is that you will. You will go to the movies. We've already been reviewing a bunch of stuff in the cinemas. The Woman King, Barbarian, High Marks from MMO on both of those. I think Don't Worry Darling, that episode we did with Swell. There's a lot of reasons to see that movie, even if it's not the the best uh, that cinema has to offer. Uh, it's quite the experience, though, even still. So go to the movies. Go enjoy yourselves. And hopefully I can give you some more reasons to do that today. Remember, though, this is one man's opinion. I'm not going to pretend like I am this incredible film critic like those that I have idolized uh, in the business. But uh, hopefully uh, you guys like episodes when Mike and I do these together. And I figure if I'm going to go solo today, this is the type of episode that could hopefully play well and give you your listening fix for the day. So I'm going to start out with Bros, with Smile, and with Blonde. Those will be the three big reviews today. And then I'm going to review in a kind of a lightning round fashion, Sydney, A Jazz Man's Blues, Meet Cute, a bunch of films down the stretch that you can also check out, whether it's on streaming or in theaters. So Let's start with Bros. This is the romantic comedy that stars Billy Eichner of Parks and Rec and Billy on the Street, two favorites of Mike and I. Uh, Bros is directed by Nicholas Stoller of Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Neighbors, two more MMO favorites. And and Eichner and Stoller co-wrote Bros, uh, and both are on the producing team along with Judd Apatow. Bros comes from Universal Pictures and has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes via an 87 reviews and a 78 Metascore. So my praise is going to be piling on and joining the parade here because I'm a, I'm a big fan of bros. Co-lead Luke McFarlane was perhaps the, the, the happiest surprise of this film because get this, he is the star of 12 Hallmark movies and many of them being Hallmark Christmas movies. Now you'd think that he would get a lot of ribbing throughout this process, throughout this comedy, and you would be right, except a lot of these jokes are very good-natured. They're to Hallmark's benefit. There's even like a, a fake Hallmark channel 
in this uh, in this world that we get in New York City, uh, in, in the world of the story, that is, because the characters basically admit time and again that they actually like the movies that Luke McFarlane is in and all these Hallmark <laughs> Christmas shows that, of course, my mother and grandmother have been subjecting me to for years so they can giddily clap along with uh, all those jokes if they ever see bros, and certainly they'll be happy to listen to this. So... I was kind of shocked to recognize him, but how could I not from from all those movies? He's in every one of those silly things. Like, now, look, I'm not the target audience for these uh, Hallmark movies, but many people do love them. And I must say there's a few where I'll watch 20 minutes with mom or grandma and it, it it's not the worst thing in the world. It's kind of hilarious that the plot of Bros mirrors a hallmark movie so and it might be a hallmark christmas movie as well so that's that's really funny and meta and i can't believe it works but it does but look i i definitely want to praise a lot of thing about a lot of things about bros especially the screenplay but let me start with the cast mcfarlane and eichner they're joined by a great ensemble here a bunch of star cameos that I will not give away. Some of them that you know from the from the marketing, but some of them that you won't. Uh, so go to see Bros if you just want to see a bunch of stars, uh, LBGTQ history icons as well, and the museum board of directors, including Miss Lawrence, T. S. Madison, Jim Rash, Dot Marie Jones. Like they're they're a high point in this film. It's a running joke. Those scenes were funny as hell, and they keep coming. So a particular. Uh, a particular shout out to that through line, but I got to praise this movie for what I thought was a surprising tone. And it's, it's a tone I didn't expect, but I probably should have Billy Eichner's kind of made this career as a send up to an angry comedian. He's not necessarily just this furious, angry comedian in his own right, because he plays that on these sweetheart comedies like Michael Schur's parks and rec uh, even though he is ruthless and he, he goes at people on Billy on the street, it's kind of a send up on the angry comedian. He's not full blown Sam Kinison and he's not Melissa McCarthy going at people necessarily, but he's full of edgier satire and he, and he's not afraid to get in people's faces, obviously. And I kind of figured that persona would carry over to bros. Not so much. I mean, he, he gets, you know, hot tempered in this, but it's not, it's not Billy Eichner, angry comedian throughout. This is, this is a, like I said, a sweetheart, introspective, self-referential comedy that pokes as much fun at his own life as, and, and pays tribute to a ton of others and it, it, than I would have expected. I, I, I kind of went into this as a straight guy figuring I would have been the butt of a lot of jokes and kind of roasted in a sense, not the case at all. So this is like not a hard watch or not like, you know, a, a watch where, you know, straight people go into this and, and feel like they're missing out or just getting made fun of. Not at all. This is not a mean comedy. It's not a mean natured comedy at all, which, you know, shame on me. I should have expected. This is very healthy, very therapeutic, very sincere and, the comedy matches the love story in that way. So I, I, you know, I got a lot more positives, but I'll, I'll veer into a few negatives and maybe it's with the rom-com genre as much as it is 
the screenplay because like there's an awkward transition or five in this where you have like the falling in love montage followed by the uh oh here's the complication and that's typical of this genre where you get trouble in paradise after the kind of the honeymoon of the falling in love and yeah there's fleeting frustrations i had in some of the conventions here but overall i mean this script really works and it should be considered among some of the best of the year because of how consistently funny and sweet it is how bros gives all these characters their shine and you get funny lines from almost every single person in here so that is just a testament to just this giving generous writing from Eichner and Stoller and the Judd Apatow brand because I think what's so cool about this Judd Apatow produced brand is that they do not allow flat characters and I I wonder if uh, maybe I shouldn't wonder but the likelihood is Judd Apatow features authentic voices who are telling their unique stories. And this is throughout his resume. Billy Eichner is certainly the latest of these great comedians that finally get their movie star uh, showcase. And here you have a lot of his friends, a lot of his his you know colleagues from throughout his career jumping into this movie. Uh, a lot of the Billy on the Street guests are in the movie and they seem to just be authentic and they seem to give themselves their own dimensions. If Billy doesn't give them to him on the page and I'm sure he does in many cases, but you do not have flat characters, even in the ensemble, which is such a stark contrast to some other movies I'm going to review today. So here's my worry about bros. My worry is that it's not going to do enough money this weekend. I've been checking my a list the last day and night and I'm not seeing enough people reserved seats on, on Bros. So please, if you want more movies like this, go support Bros this weekend. It is worth it. It's it's a B plus 88-89 comedy all day. All the tip tiff hype makes sense now after I've seen it. And I guess as for an Oscars lens, which I'll try to give on a few of these movies, I would bang the table for Bros in the original screenplay conversation. I think the Writers Guild should certainly look at it. I, I would hope that certain award shows would nominate bros in the mix there. This is a category that I think has some strong contenders like the Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the Banshees of Sharon, and of course Babylon. I think those four probably have the inside track in original screenplay. But after that, you never know. You have Triangle of Sadness and The Woman King. They're in Scott Feinberg's top five as of now. Otherwise, in his next few tiers, he has Tar, Nope, Close, Decision to Leave, Elvis, Broker, After Sun. And I would probably add, at least in my brain, where I'm, uh, I'm kind of looking of, of scripts that could crash into this category. The Inspection, The Menu, Corsage, uh, The Swimmers. Those would be my hopes in the category amongst others. So... Let's be honest, Bros is on a similar tier. It started with some festival love. The comedy alone should raise its profile. And then like the meta commentary about how trailblazing it is supposed to be, which is kind of tongue in cheek. It's it's a very it's a very humble movie, I would say. I I was surprised that this movie, like I said, is much more apt to pay tribute to others. 
than himself here. And it's, it's just really good for the soul. There's so much heart in this and, and there's so much self-reflection here that the, the sincerity is just off the charts. So I was really pleased with this film. I, I cannot stress enough. Go see it in theaters. Be, be the judge yourself. But hopefully it's one of those films that will just be funny and, and deliver those goods as, uh, uh, of any good rom-com. Of the best of them, really. So this has got to rank up there. And I'm glad to see a lot of praise for bros out there in the film Twitter sphere. So I hope that continues. I was a little worried that in my straight world I wouldn't understand the comedy or that it wouldn't be for me or that I couldn't hang or even or worst of all that I would be like the dork that somehow ruins the street cred of this movie by liking it that's that's my biggest fear working with teenagers nowadays obviously whatever I like they won't like just as a reaction uh, and that's my fear of any cool that's been my fear of cool people since the beginning of uh my social life and that's my fear now of bros so hopefully i'm just cool enough to be able to like this movie and get people to go see it that you just learned about also mike's greatest phobia that i'm becoming old enough to where i will actually push people away by liking something like this that i think is cool so shout out to bros another movie that i i liked and in this case i was surprised to like is Smile. Smile has a marketing trailer that played so often before almost every AMC A-list viewing for me, and I really did not like that trailer. It, it was overplayed, but it was it's the mark of a good trailer because they just used the one to play it again and again and again, so that means it must have worked uh, to, for them not to cut trailers two, three, etc., but the marketing was way too much. Now, Mike and I have since praised all the viral stuff, all the viral marketing. They've planted ask actors. Paramount has planted actors in audiences from the crowds at daytime talk shows, you know, behind the glass of a, of a TV studio there, just smiling people with smile across a T-shirt. Uh, on, you know, to, to, to shout out the movie. And then, of course, these same smiling people, evil smiles, by the way, of course, this is a terrifying horror movie. Evil smiles in the middle of a sports crowd, unmoving, kind of funny, but also really creepy. And it's, it's just worked like a charm, I think, because crowds are going to be big for this movie. Smile is going to be a huge hit. Parker Finn is already getting a ton of praise and I got to be honest with you, because this movie delivers in a big way uh, as a horror film. It is scary as hell, and I I'll start with the cast and the ensemble as for reasons why. Because these are terrific performances. Sosie Bacon in the in the lead role is tremendous. Jesse T. Usher of the Boys, A Train from the Boys, is her boyfriend slash husband and he's a great foil to her Kyle Gallner from the latest scream he's he's in a bunch of other things I like he's he's really strong in this and then like bros there's a great ensemble here you got many notable actors and great scenes and great one-offs you have MMO favorite Rob Morgan that we saw from the trailer you have Scrubs's Judy Reyes Oh my God, I haven't seen her forever, and she is just crushing it in this one big scene. Deadwood's Robin Weigert, you've seen her in the trailer, and she's got just iconic work 
uh, in this one. She's really, really showcased in one, two crazy scenes, I would say. And then the namesake in Harold and Kumar's Cal Penn. You know, he's in a bunch of scenes in this. He's more of a recurring character. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. So big shout out to the cast of Smile. And for the record, I went into Smile just like I went into Bros with an injury, a physical injury. I think I cracked a rib because it really hurts to breathe in deeply or maybe I bruised it because I probably, if I cracked it or broke it, it'd probably be even worse than it is. But if I, I, I sneeze or I cough, searing pain, my whole left side, I think I know how it happened. It, I knew it immediately when it happened. I knew something was wrong. So I, I'd just been dealing with that. A lot of icy hot. If you sat next to a person in the theater with a lot of icy hot, that was me. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm in mean, like, it's so much pain. And it's a testament to these two movies and how much I like them that I'm willing to sit through them uh, in that amount of pain and, and just clench in fear like I did here for Smile. And it hurt every single time, every single jump stare. There's one that I just... I thought like something went out of place. It hurt so much, like pain, like I haven't felt in a long time in my life, just because of a movie scare. Because I'm, I got a bruised rib or something. So my goodness, did this movie have a lot to overcome with me? But if if my pain is any indication, or even better, yeah, if my willingness to go through that amount of pain is any indication, then you guys will know that I really like Smile. Uh, my screening was loud it was a rowdy crowd people were yelling at the screen it's almost like the marketing the repetitive marketing gave us permission to kind of know what was happening for i don't know 30 percent of it to to go along with like what we knew was coming and then it's even more fun when they surprise us from there so that's what happened here like everybody kind of knew all the big trailer moments and they're like okay here we go those moments still work somehow and then when you know you get something new it it just scared the crap out of you even more it's even more pronounced so great crowd i'm guessing that's what's what it's going to be like for smile fans on its opening weekend i'm guessing this movie's going to overperform uh it's just it's just out there in the zeitgeist right now and look i got to say it delivers especially in the finale wild chilling grotesque spectacle my audience was yelling at the screen while it was happening no 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 i can't believe this is going on like i'm i'm hearing multiple people talk to the screen which is not something i've had in a while i mean the barbarian crowd that i talked about with mike was good was solid it was like 17 18 people i think i counted at the time but this was this was a full this was a full theater so Great time at the movies for Smile, and uh, I'm guessing it's going to be a hit. Uh, as for like a awards conversation, Oscar lens, I got to shout out and commend the production values. I think the sound team is doing terrific work. And look, I mean, most of this movie is quiet. Like this is a jump scare film, Smile. So you you're biding your time and you're waiting for things to pop out and and mess with you. There's not a lot of score, but when the score happens, it is bizarre. Cristobal Tapia de Vere, chilling, weird music going on here. And, I, you know, the, between the sound and the score, those were the highlights for me. Otherwise, it's, it's a smooth composition where, like I said, the acting is brought to the forefront. So I'll finish this review of Smile by 
by kind of pitching what we're going to talk about at the end of October, Halloween time, and what a terrific year it's been for horror films. I mean, we started this year with Scream, Fresh, X, Watcher, all films that uh, I really liked, whether it's from Sundance or, of course, that, that Mike and I reviewed in the spring there uh, or, or, or winter, like with Scream. And then we got, in, in the late spring, early summer, The Black Phone, Nope, Resurrection, Prey, Bodies, 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 Fall, Barbarian. Now, as we get into the fall and get Pearl, Smile, and hopefully some more good movies and Halloween ends, Hellraiser, Bones and All, which I'm seeing next week, and Violent Night, which is going to be a Santa Claus movie with uh, Mr. Stranger Things and Black Widow. Oh, my God. What's his name? Here we go. It's too early in the episode to be looking for names and searching IMDb, but I'm just going to do it live here for you folks. Everybody's shouting out his name. David Harbour. Of course, David Harbour of Hellboy. But David Harbour is going to be playing Santa Claus and a murdering Santa Claus and Violent Night. So I'm in. I'm in. So those are two rave reviews from me. B plus 88, 89s. Really pleased uh, at this week of movies with Smile and Bros. Now, got to veer into negative town for a minute because Blonde. Blonde being kind of the Oscar centerpiece contender of this episode did not deliver for me. I tweeted a crass joke about Blonde being the passion of the blonde, being misery porn, and it was it was just that. Unfortunately and infuriatingly, it was on the nose. It felt sadomasochistic. It felt like it, we're just brutalizing this character from start to finish, and it's just like we're wallowing in the victimhood of it all. Maybe that's me being a bit cynical. Maybe that's me struggling to grasp this film because, fortunately, I cannot relate uh, with the privileged life I have and I live. But in my mind, when I consider tragedies and the great ones in cinematic history, I do think you need the rise as much as the fall. I do think you have to have moments of kindness and clarity in contrast to the moments of insanity and and cruelty that this movie just does not offer. This is a wallowing in a a level of despair that I just have not experienced in a long time. Spencer, the Princess Diana, Kristen Stewart movie, that was bleak. And, And Mike and I have reviewed a ton of dreary films a ton of insanely serious movies that have been parades of sadness let's not lie but typically like with spencer there are oases oasis is i mean you get ports in the storm all the scenes between Kristen stewart and her kids and spencer those are nice those are happy those are yeah they have they're full of red flags but they pay off and the sally hawkins scenes in spencer i mean there's a lot of scenes where you genuinely come to love and adore this character, and most importantly, where you can come to hope. Here you know that Marilyn Monroe's unhealthy relationship with the son of Charlie Chaplin or Joe DiMaggio or Adrian Brody's, uh, I forget the playwright who that's based on, Marilyn Monroe, was married to him for four years. Excuse me, I'm I'm not going to look him up. But bottom line is you have sequences in this film that just felt cynical to me where you knew 
it was all going to fall apart where the red flags were like out of pearl you know you there was twisted just daddy fetishes with the adrian brody character i I couldn't i could not relax in that movie and in, in a film that's maybe 90 minutes okay I understand, but two hours and 47 minutes, almost three hours of this level of nightmare. Like I, I got the gist of this film after the first scene and I don't know. Again, I just, I think you need more contrast. Diarmas, Anna Diarmas, she is certainly convincing. Uh, the story kind of hangs and, and the directing kind of hangs her out to dry in a few scenes where I think she's overextended and it's and it's repetitive too like her breaking down and crying one of those scenes makes sense two of those scenes again with a with a sad story makes sense five of those scenes is no good it's just it's it's not gonna work and again there's no port in the storm it's just this grueling punishing hollywood horror show that could have been more true than we ever want to know but Based on everything I've been reading, you know, this is a historical fiction. Joyce Carol Oates wrote a historical fiction about Marilyn Monroe's life. I'm sure she based a lot of it in, in truth, but no, it's it's not a true story that, the, that that we know of as of now. And unfortunately, it played as such. It I, Like, I can't, why don't I believe this movie as much as I should? Like, we know the casting couch terrors that were subjected on so many actors back then. And that's portrayed in this movie in some of the stronger scenes. And we, I believe, I believe the the, tr- the truth in a lot of these terrifying stories, but I don't believe it as a full composition. I don't buy it because there's no reprieve. There's no tension relief. So there's just, there's no amount of style or inspired filmmaking, which I completely understand when critics praise that for Andrew Dominic in this movie. And I completely understand why Anna Diarmas deserves a lot of praise uh, and, and why the production values, the costumes, the hair and makeup, the cinematography, I was not expecting cinematography on this level. Anytime he goes slow motion, anytime he goes super stylistic, I, it's, it's the strengths of the, these are the strengths of the film, in my opinion. And yes, the, you know, everything involving the, in terms of the, the abortion or the, or the baby, like, does it, does it work? And when you think about obviously the thematics of that and what it, what it means and how reductive it is. And a lot of critics have, have conveyed this better than I ever could, uh, from my perspective, but certainly this movie is a misfire. If there ever was one, it's a, it's a failure in my, in my opinion, does not work. And the weaknesses outweigh the strengths to the point where the scale is just broken or fallen over. Like I, I got on Don't Worry Darling for really screwing it up in the back half. This movie, it, it screws it up in, in the repetitiveness of the of the story. I mean, it's just it's one sequence after another. Look, Diarmas is in my top five as of now. There's enough quantity of quality work here that, again, I won't begrudge the Academy for selecting whether it's costumes hair and makeup cinematography if you put those in your top fives as of now if your grade is higher than mine as of now like i said i can't begrudge you for that but i have a suspicion that everyone is going to bounce these production values and unfortunately d armas is acting outside of their top fives by the time 
we we nominate like the, if if Spencer had an uphill battle and was barely hanging on after the, the amount that Kristen Stewart had won and her front runner status, then what's going to happen to Blonde? I mean, we, we know how dreary a movie this is, how tough of a sit it is. The screener pile argument for a three hour you know parade of sadness is it's hard enough to get get them to watch a movie that's a two hour film with a down ending. Never mind just the constant beatdown you get from blonde here so not a fan sorry to people that uh you know that 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 wanted to push this movie to where you know and and praise a lot of the great things about it but it just it did not work for me so so we'll move on to another film about a hollywood legend that hopefully can kind of cleanse the palate a little bit and that's the documentary sydney the oprah winfrey produced sydney poitier doc for apple tv plus that released this week and i must say sydney finds the right mix between entertainment and education that's hard to do when it comes to these documentaries and unfortunately i have a few comparisons to recent documentaries that didn't work for me like nothing compares about Sinead o'connor or hallelujah leonard cohen a journey a song that didn't work about mr leonard cohen there where i think we get the enrichment of Sidney Poitier himself as just this mesmerizing storyteller where you are transfixed by him going through his childhood. He tells his birth story, for Christ's sake. I mean, and you are riveted every second of that. So you get the first-person narration, even though he was no longer with us by the time this film was released, and, and, and what a tribute this becomes to him as the late great actor there after you know, passing away at, I think, 94 or 96. But Sidney Poitier's life and career and the chronicle thereof, I mean, there are obviously enough moments of fascination here. I mean, you got the subject. I mean, you got the goods. And Oprah Winfrey, she just, she knows how to make this such a a palatable, again, another smooth composition that you you don't always find. And And there's enough changeover to where, yes, I could get a little cynical at the form because, you know, okay, this is the civil rights montage. This is that phase of his life. And and uh, fine, that's that's the latent act two movement where, you know, they address that subject. But, I mean, we've seen documentaries like this where you're chronicling the career from from movie to movie or from from album to album in the, in the sense of like the Sparks, Sparks brothers from Edgar Wright there, just way too repetitive. That, that, those kind of redundancies doom the film in, in that respect. That was a movie I was set up to love. So this, this is a superior composition. This is made for kind of a, a big audience though, Sydney. And, and, and that's a happy thing because if anybody deserves that level of commercial appeal, in terms of their tribute doc, it's Sidney Poitier. So B86 all day, great watch on Apple TV+. Plus. Go check it out. Here's a documentary that I was surprised to like, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but here goes nothing. I, I think Facing Nolan, about Nolan Ryan of the Texas Rangers, California Angels, of course the New York Mets, the legendary pitcher from Texas, Facing Nolan is now on Netflix, and I, I saw it well before that. I'm bringing it back for this episode. Like you get a lot of history of pitching in this. You get a lot on his 
workouts. You get a lot, of course, on his career and, and the different stops along that career for Nolan Ryan. But more than that, you get like his family life. You get interviews with his wife and perhaps the funniest and, and the most entertaining of it all, like his whole extended family gets interviewed in this. And he's got like a bunch of grandkids who do nothing but break his balls even even today. And he's a, a farmer and a rancher in Texas now. And, and he came from those humble beginnings and he went back to them after his playing career. And, you know, they're breaking his chops about all of his commercials in his life as as a star athlete who made some money in marketing but this is not the documentary i expected for whatever reason i figured political geographical differences i would just have those with this and george w bush is certainly a as the old former owner of the texas rangers he's interviewed quite a bit for this documentary i, I figured i wouldn't have liked it i figured i would even turn it off when i got it but you know i am a big baseball fan and the fact that this is much as much about the rest of his life not just like the legendary roger clemens style workouts and whatnot but the fact that he was so durable and long-lasting because of his family life because of how everybody pushed him and they they emphasized the fact that he was trying to push his kids at the same time to like achieve what they wanted to do so you you would figure this would be like a 10 gallon tall tailed 10 gallon hat kind of story of nolan ryan's accomplishments but it really is very grounded and a, a very good documentary on netflix so that's facing nolan I'll stay on Netflix right now for Do Revenge. I'll get out of the documentaries. This stars Camilla Mendes, Mendez of Riverdale, Maya Hawk of Stranger Things. And then we got Talia Ryder, Sophie Turner, Game of Thrones there. Talia Ryder, Never, uh, never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And, of course, uh, the principal is played by Sarah Michelle Geller, teen icon from when I was a teen back in the day. So Do Revenge. Look, it stumbles a bit in the finale, but overall, this is a very fun watch. This is an easy watch. I am chuckling throughout. Uh, I cannot believe the number of references from 1990s music to a ton of 1990s, early 2000s movies that were seemingly designed just for me in a contemporary movie that I thought would be made for age groups much younger than me. So maybe that's just playing to the choir of critics that really love Do Revenge and like, like I do. But hey, I mean, if you're going to put OMC's How Bizarre in the soundtrack, if there's a pet lizard named Oscar winning Olivia Coleman, I'm not apologizing for loving all that. And the movie's got the goods. I mean, this is a twisty, romantic, revenge-fueled high school morality tale that I'm in for. And and what a year for director Jennifer Caton Robinson, uh, who also co-wrote Thor Love and Thunder and directed Do Revenge here. So yeah, the thumbs up from me for Do Revenge, B86 all day, watch it on Netflix. I'll continue with the positive side of these rapid-fire reviews and talk about DC League of Super Pets, which you guys knew I was high on back uh, when Mike and I did our box office over-unders, many of which that I was terribly, terribly wrong about, at least on my side. I think Mike won that battle in terms of the box office over-unders. He was right much more than I. I haven't gone back and done the exact stats, but I'm very embarrassed of the fact that I bet the wrong way on so many of those. <laughs> that was not my strong suit, not my best uh, effort in terms of predictions. But I had DC League of Super Pets making a ton more money than it did. It still did okay, $186 million on a $90 million budget where you would think 
PVOD, you know, it's, it's second and third shelf lives. They could kind of make enough profitability there to at least break even or, or some profit, I guess. But HBO Max is featuring DC League of Super Pets right now. That's where I saw it. And I got to admit, this is one of the most adorable dog and cat and pet loving movies. I don't know, maybe ever. So The Secret Life of Pets was very cute in that regard. I figured this would be the same way. But if, yeah, so if you're, if you're a parent, proud parent of a poochie or a kitty or a piggy or whatever, uh, you're going to be a fan of this movie, especially if you're a fan of the DC Universe, because they, of course, blend a million little inside jokes there as well. Now, look, it's not Lego Batman movie zaniness levels of where I can't keep up and only kids of that age seemingly do. But this movie goes off the rails a few times with kid movie zaniness, craziness kind of uh, plot structures. However, there's enough to pull you back into the comedy and the cuteness for Super Pets to just be a winner for me. So shout out to DC League of Super Pets in a bizarre transition. I'll move to my final positive review in the lightning round here. A love song starring Dale Dickey and Wes Studi. This is slow. It's felt like Nomadland's stop along the road trip where she's living in a trailer and she's visited by a lo- a, you know an old flame, a lost love in Wes Studi's character. They come together for a central movie love song, which is you know delivering the goods. I wonder if it's a, if it's original to where it could get some original song love at some uh, award shows. But this is really just a performance showcase, a love song for Dale Dickey and Wes Studi. Dale Dickey's had an incredible career. Uh, she's you know I think uh, Winter's Bone was where I first kind of uh, became aware of what a great character actor she's she's been, and and that kind of launched a second life for her career certainly. And, and this is as good as she's been. I think you have scenes where the camera's just fixed on her, and she's telling the story with her eyes, with her countenance. Dale Dickey is doing so many different things here. It is. It is incredible. And for her to patron independent cinema like this, I hope it's something that pays off for her, you know, at the independent spirits, at the Gothams. I hope she's in the mix there. A love song is something I missed at Sundance. But look, I mean, it's going to be a a best actress crowd that I'll now talk about that she's not going to be involved in, even though she probably should be just based on merit. Uh, and I'll mention Armas here to kind of bring that home. But you have Michelle Yeoh, Michelle Williams, Kate Blanchett. Those are the three almost shoo-ins in the lead actress category. Olivia Coleman, many expect her to be in that five. Viola Davis is right now is on Feinberg's five. And then you have a ton of other big names from uh, Anna Diarmas and Rooney Mara, Jessica Chastain, Carrie Mulligan, Zoe Kazan, along with some up-and-comers like Daniel Deadweiler, who I think it's going to be stock up after this weekend when Till premieres. Vicky Creeps from Corsage. I'm seeing Corsage this weekend, so I'm excited to see how that performance stacks up. Leia Seydoux, I'm seeing that next week from One Fine Morning. And then you have, I'll go down the list with uh, with Scott, Emma Corrin, Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Thompson, Mia Goth, Kiki Palmer, uh, Tong Wei, Florence Pugh times two, before he even gets to Naomi Aki and Mar- Margot Robbie, Letitia Wright, Anna Jopp, Sigourney Weaver, and his still-to-see section. I think lead actress seems to be 
perhaps the most competitive thus far. So Dale Dickey, she should be on that list. Based on merit, she should be on that list. She's in my top five as of now. And it's unfortunate that she's probably going to be on the outside looking in. This movie did not get the momentum that maybe it should have gotten. But for $7, you know, as long as you're in for the watch and focused and you can take in all the nuances, you're going to like a love story, I hope. All right, I will transition into the negative reviews. Uh, If I'm going to do one of these movie review bundles, I think it's only fair to let you guys know about the movies that I did not enjoy. Uh, that's something that a lot of critics, much wiser than I, have banged the table whenever they've whenever they've advised Mike and I on the sly. They've talked to us off the record and they've said, "Listen, you know, to to really gain any kind of credibility, you got to be honest about the movies that you you don't like and that you you have to body slam sometimes because that's your job. And you, if you're going to go for objectivity, and and that's just an ideal that I've talked about on many occasions, despite our subjectivity we we try to go for objectivity and and i'm going to try and do that now i'm not going to wallow necessarily in all these negative reviews but again with the theme of movies that are available to all of you right now on streaming etc and i'll start with meet cute on peacock starring pete davidson and kelly cuoco and this is a darn shame because i have always been a big fan of alex lehman of blue jay and paddleton and most recently i saw acid man at tribeca that i really enjoyed and and told you guys about in the spring meet cute is perhaps his most ambitious script even though he didn't write the script it's his most ambitious story that he's directing here and it just does not strike the right tone at all this is manic and infuriating, painfully unfunny. We're watching Cuoco and Davidson bomb hard, and it's agonizing for me as, a, as such a big comedy fan. So I cannot be a fan of Meet Cute, unfortunately. Does does it kind of stick the landing in a way? Yes, I do. I do believe like the last scene is good. So if you you enjoy this movie, if you if you bought into Meet Cute more than me and kind of stick to the theme of life being it's okay for life to be messy i mean that that i mean that's a righteous message and a a wholesome message and a message that's good for the soul but i just i had major tonal issues with the subject matter versus how these characters are going about getting to where this movie goes me cute did not work for me I will also be sad in reviewing brian and charles right now brian and charles is about a a man living in a British village who creates a robot. He's kind of a bullied guy. He's a, a bit of a hermit. And it's kind of this sad underdog story that, you know, you're rooting for him. And then he's he's got this robot that he kind of makes out of thin air. And the robot's just a jerk. <laughs> like, what is going on with this surrogate parenthood type story? It's just so bizarre. And then you have this cringeworthy romance where I am just, I'm writhing on the couch watching how awkward this romance is. And it all builds to this asinine finale where I just, I'm sorry, I want my $7 back. Uh, I, I know we've reviewed this movie via others on the show in the past. So hopefully, hopefully fans of the people we are fans of will rejoice in this movie. And it's just 
didn't strike me the right way. But Brian and Charles, I'm very sorry. I did not like this one. Focus features, I'm sorry. I typically like a lot of focus features movies. All right. I'll finish with a jazz man's blues. I'm a bit more mixed on a jazz man's blues than I had feared because this movie started out, I did not like it, and I thought it was going to go straight downhill from there. But there, there is a lot to like. There's some good performances in a jazz man's blues, high production values, especially regarding the costumes and the production design. The sets are, are, are gorgeous. Uh, so Tyler Perry knows how to put on a big production. I'm glad that Netflix... Just let him do whatever he wants. He's got that huge deal with them. Let him make whatever movie he wants. He's earned that in his career, certainly. He's a media mogul. Mike and I are just waiting for him to just keeps, you know, to, to, to just crack it to the awards conversation at, at, at some point. At least, uh, if it's not as an actor, then as, a, as, as an auteur, this did not work for me. I'm sorry. A Jazz Man's Blues is a melodrama. Many critics celebrate it for being a melodrama. And look, maybe I just do not like melodramas. I do not like flat characters. I do not like mustache twirling villains and, and characters that are completely flat and one-dimensional. Uh, I can't handle them. It's not realistic necessarily. In, from real life, even though the evils that are portrayed here are certainly realistic, but I feel like it cheapens those real life evils when you try to, you know, package it in this way. So that's the, that's the sadness of a jazz band blues. It, it really didn't work for me. I just I, the tone doesn't work. The script is unfortunately full of bad dialogue and, and on the nose writing, and can't get behind it. So I won't leave you on these sad notes i will shift into television for a minute to talk to you about a bunch of shows that i'm loving right now and we'll end on a happy note but yeah this has been a movie review bundle and i gotta just give you a smattering of reviews to to take us out uh we'll, we'll shift to tv abbott elementary i finished season one i'm enjoying season two really funny another one of those michael Schur level uh, comedies that are just good for the soul. Quinta Brunson, of course, is the brains behind all of it. It had such a warm reception at the Emmys, and for good reason. Abbott Elementary, the new best comedy, certainly on network TV, but maybe period. Uh, if not, if not for Ted Lasso, it might be the best comedy period uh, on television. So Abbott Elementary, big thumbs up. Go watch it. It's on Hulu. It's on HBO Max, and of course, it's on ABC. I think or NBC. Oh, God, I'm losing track of which network is which nowadays. I'm also, you guys know, on the demographic for House of the Dragon, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Andor. You guys know I'm a big Star Wars fan, Game of Thrones fan, Lord of the Rings fan. So I am just in my element right now with those three shows. You add She-Hulk to the mix. I'm just a happy person right now with my weekly television watching. House of the Dragon has has had some phenomenal episodes. I did not believe the time jump was going to work for me because I was loving the younger cast members so much. But when you flash forward and you got such great performances by the next wave of the cast members portraying these characters at a you know ten years into the future, I I'm I'm thrilled. Olivia Cook is just acting i mean she's acting emmy worthy stuff out there uh i'm i'm thrilled with house of the dragon i was uh, so afraid that it wasn't going to live up to it i'm a little worried about the pacing that it, that it's going too far too fast 
that you know it could take a, a misstep with one new cast member or whatnot that one new era and then next thing you know the show is in trouble but so far so good house of the dragon's been tremendous the lord of the rings the rings of power i did not necessarily believe i would love this show as much as i do but here you have production values that are just as good as anything that's ever been on tv period end of story this show is beautiful to watch the i mean the cinematography the the visual effects should win emmy every emmy out there uh production values in terms of uh costumes everything i mean you see the money on the screen i mean this is a very expensive show and you see it all the lord of the rings is going to be showered with awards i would think in that stage but there's also enough here to enjoy for fans of lord of the rings uh for fans of the hobbit uh, for fans of tolkien in in the respect that there's a lot of parallels of course they're essentially it's like a, a reboot quilt the rings of power it's a reboot quilt of lord of the rings in an age previous but they're making me have to watch the next episode because of we're, we're wondering who the villain is, who is Sauron. We, we don't know. Uh, that's the big, it's like a whodunit. Is, is it one of the characters that we've been, already been introduced of? Has he just not shown up yet? That is remarkable to, to turn this into a whodunit. Uh, I know some people don't like that, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a guessing game and it's fun. And then you got like the Helm's Deep sequences coming and, you know, a lot of the big moments from the original trilogy are getting their redux moments here in the first season of the Rings of Power. So, again, we'll see how the Lord of the Rings television series works after they kind of, you know, rehash a lot of the ground covered in the Lord of the Rings film series. But so far, so good. She-Hulk, maybe one episode that i didn't like otherwise i mean they're seven for eight as of now i'm really enjoying she hulk and andor andor started i have not watched the fourth episode of andor yet i didn't have time with all the movie watching that just came out uh, a night ago but andor's been awesome really good uh tony gilroy uh, wrote a lot of uh, i mean michael clayton a lot of like intense drama in his life and career i believe he wrote nightcrawler tony gilroy as well and he's writing this Star Wars show after writing Rogue One, and he's just, he's knocking it out of the park. I mean, he's bringing real gravitas to it thus far with this cast and uh, led led by Diego Luna, who's incredible. I can't wait to see where they go with this. But Andor, uh, after, after the name of the character Cassian Andor of Rogue One, really good. The best Star Wars show on Disney+. Plus thus far which is saying something because the mandalorian it was 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 a lot of fun especially that first season and and that was much watched tv and that was very enjoyable but this is clearly on, on another level in terms of dr- dramatic capability and tony gilroy brings that to it finally i will shout out welcome to wrexham where rob McElhaney and ryan reynolds have documented their purchase or takeover of a Welsh football club, which we Americans ignorantly call soccer here. But what a great show on FX via Hulu that I'm watching every week and really funny. I did not know half of this stuff about English soccer and all the, you know, the premier leagues and all the leagues below it and relegation and promotion. And again, it's just 
not the sport I have followed all my life that I've come to enjoy more and more as I get older and certainly through entertainment like Ted Lasso and now welcome to Wrexham. I am, I am loving this show and I can, I, I have to recommend it to you all here. So watch welcome to Wrexham. You got a lot of Ryan Reynolds jokes. You got a lot of, it's always, it's always funny in uh, Philadelphia jokes in there. So look, I'm not necessarily a TV critic, but this is what I'm loving out there in terms of the TV landscape. So check out all those shows. Okay, that will do it for me today. I can't believe I did this in one sitting, maybe two sips of coffee. Hopefully not a hard edit for me today, but I cannot thank you guys enough for listening to my voice this entire time. Again, shout out, love to Mike One. Really appreciate all you guys' support on social media to him during his tough time. And uh, I know he wants to get back with MMO as soon as possible. Uh, Remember, this is just one critic's opinions. Do please let me know your own opinions. Our DMs are open at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram and Facebook. And of course you can send us an email, Mike, Mike and Oscar, A N D spell it out at Gmail and on Reddit. If you do enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you can hit that thumbs up button, rate us five stars, or leave a review. Uh, we don't say this enough, but also thank you for all the referrals that you guys have must have been doing all these years uh, because we, we have been growing this audience since the start. Mike just talked to me a couple of weeks ago about how we're going to be a 20% increase yet again this, uh, you know, this fall or at least with the year-to-date going. So we're going to surpass last year's numbers by the time kind of we hit the end of fall film festival season already. And it's just it's, it's just a thrill to be able to continue to do this uh, with so much support. So thank you guys. That Those are words of wisdom for certain, but I'll, I'll give a few more uh, genuine words of wisdom here in the sense that please do support your regional film festivals. That's kind of the next phase of the fall film festivals. That's when I will be attending the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center over the next three weekends. So Mike and I on the next few Oscar race checkpoints will be doing a segment where I kind of weigh in on a bunch of these movies, uh, Triangle of Sadness, Corsage, uh, those are two of the few movies I'll be seeing this weekend. There's one more. I forget what I'm seeing. Oh, Master Gardener. So I'll be seeing those three Saturday and Sunday. I'm really excited about that. Going with my brother on Saturday. And then I believe I'm meeting Andrew Morgan on Sunday, which is cool. We'll do some PJ Clarks. And uh, I'll tell you about that as well. Uh, but we also got a bunch of movies this October that we uh, we got to do film studies for. There's probably too many movies to do film studies for, which is why... You know, hopefully I covered some ground today in this uh, in this Oscar race checkpoint movie review bundle that we're going to, yeah, we're going to be forced to do more of between Mike and I uh, going forward, whether it's film festival commentary or just going to the movies a whole bunch. So this is the time. This is movie watching season. Go support those regional film festivals. Go support your local uh, movie theater and just have fun watching movies. Guys, cannot thank you enough. Like I said, when uh, reality sucks, you know, watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar making uh, award season year-round. <laughs> Not as good as the outro as my friend there, but uh, we're trying to do this without the stuffiness. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>